Welcome to FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. This sermon features founding pastor Ken Werlein and was recorded on graduation Sunday, May 30th. During the service, we celebrated and prayed for over 40 graduating seniors as they prepare to make their next steps in life. Yeah, congratulations to the class of 2021. And to those of you who live nearby, we invite you to come worship with us on campus this Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. And if you can't make it in person, you can join us online at faithbridge.org live. Here's Pastor Ken. But I want to talk to you uh, a few minutes. I'm going to let the others listen in <laughs> since they came. But because uh, it'll be relevant for them too. But it's particularly relevant for you. Because I know something that you don't know. Well, you may know it, but you only know it theoretically. You don't know it experientially yet. You can't. And that is, your life's getting ready to get a little bit more complicated. The responsibilities of independent living may feel a little heavier to you. You're going to be asked to do more and to work harder than you've been asked to work before. At times, especially those of you who are moving away to different places, you're going to feel some loneliness, I predict. Maybe like you haven't felt before. And all of these things combined may send a, I don't know, uh, a, a hit or two to the confidence and the exhilaration that you feel right now. I just want you to see it coming. So you don't think maybe I did something wrong. No, this is just part of the process. Some of you are going to go to schools and I bet you're going to have a professor, maybe two who take particular pleasure in demeaning and, and ridiculing your faith, especially if they find out you're a believer. They'll really love to gang up on you about that. Challenge you. Say, oh, that Sunday school faith of yours that you grew up with, it's not going to work here in academia. It doesn't work here. Do you really think that... God spoke through a book that was arranged by some people that have some inconsistencies in it, some mistakes. And do you really believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus just came to die and to save those who trust in him? There's so many other people around the world. What about all of them who never hear about him? They might ask you, what about this? If God is so good and loving, why is there so much suffering in the world? Tell me, young man. Tell me, young lady. And the statistics show that some of you, you're going to start to wonder. You're going to start to wonder. Maybe it's the, none of the stuff we talked about at Point Break and curious groups and on the road, mission trips. Does that only work when I'm back at home? And I want you to think about something, and that's this. Just because you don't know the answer to a question because you never were asked it before doesn't mean there's not an answer to the question. You're just going to have to go pursue it. Some of you, though, again, this is just statistics. I hope I'm wrong. But some of you are going to say to yourself, maybe I just need to go along to get along. I'll just... Maybe I'll just put my faith on hiatus for a little while. Not forever. I mean, I'll get back to it one of those days. But, but maybe right now, I just need to put it on, 
on hold. And if you think a thought like that or feel a temptation like that, I want you to know you won't be the first people who ever felt that. As a matter of fact, Christians have felt that going all the way back to the very beginning of Christianity. Because you see, if you'd have lived 2,000 years ago in the early original church throughout Asia Minor and over into Europe, Greece and Italy and places like that, see, the Christians were being persecuted by the Romans even more than you'll feel wherever you're going. I mean, these people were getting killed. If you'd have lived back then, you might have even had a friend, maybe two, who you'd seen get their heads chopped off or got crucified because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And back then, some of the Christians, they were losing confidence too. They were saying, you know what, maybe, maybe I just, I want to be out. Maybe I should just sort of set this Christianity thing aside, check the whole thing, and maybe I'll just go back to Judaism, or maybe I'll just try atheism, because I think it might make life a little bit less stressful if I were to do that. Which makes the verse that we're going to look at today particularly relevant. It's written by a man who wrote the book of Hebrews. It's actually a letter. We just call it a book. And the author of Hebrews writes to those Christians as he would write to you. Don't do it. Don't punt your faith. Trust me, Jesus is better. He's better than anything else you might ever try. Keep the faith. Don't quit on Jesus. And he wrote this letter to the Hebrew Christians because they're being persecuted. And he, he wanted to encourage them, stay with it, even in the midst of the trials, even in the midst of the persecutions. And so what I want to do today is I want to go straight to the climax of the whole book. It comes in chapter 12, these two verses in chapter 12, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. So you can turn there if you brought a Bible or if you have a device, and I'll just read it to you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorned its shame, and finally sat down at the right hand of the Father. The author here is describing the faith journey, our walk with Christ as a race, like the running kind of race. He's drawing this kind of imagery. He's, he's drawing on the readers back then understanding of the Roman and the, and the Greek Olympics and the, and the amphitheaters where they would go and watch, they would watch the foot races. And he's painting this picture. We're entering the stadium, just like you're gonna be entering a new venue. And he's describing us believers. We're actually the people who are out on the track and field. The Christians, we're the ones warming up, stretching, getting ready to run. And there's a bunch of shouting from the stands, from the spectators throughout the arena. Who are those people? He tells us, ah, oh, these are the believers who've come before you. 
They've run their race. They've finished their race. And you know a lot of their names because in Hebrews chapter 11, the previous chapter, he lists out a lot of these people. Like Joshua. You picture Joshua up in the stands hollering, even when God's instructions make no sense to you, trust him and he'll bring the walls around you crumbling down. And look over here and you'll, you'll hear Joseph of old. Joseph of old saying, choose the hard right over the easy wrong as I did that day when Potiphar's wife came on to me. You'll never regret it. Flee temptation. And you look over and you hear another one. This is Rahab. She says, well, if you don't choose the hard right, even if you mess up, look at my life. My life is an attestment to God's grace. If God can use a harlot like me, trust that he wants to use you in your life as well. And so now, graduates, it's time for you to run your race. You've been preparing for 18 years. You're ready. It's time now. So runners, take your mark. Get set. Wait, I just don't think you're quite ready because there's four things I want you to get and I really want you to get hold of these before you move to the next chapter. So if you're a note taker, here's the first thing I want us to see in this text. It's this, you are gonna need some running mates. You're gonna need some running mates. You're gonna need some community around you. He's saying, hey, this isn't just you running your race all out there by yourself. God means for us to run it together. And that's why the author uses these plural nouns. We must run our race. We must fix our eyes on Jesus. It's not just about you. It's about us doing this together. That's why he uses those plural nouns. And I, I loved how many of you said in your videos just a few minutes ago how you've loved the community here and you can't wait to find your community when you get there to wherever there is going to be for you. And, and I really hope that you'll follow through on that. I really hope you'll follow through on that. Like make it a priority. It's like as soon as you drop your bags off and get your dorm room decorated Make it a top priority to find a local church that you can plug into. Not just, just attend here and there, but like plug into where you can get involved and serve in the kids' ministry or the youth ministry or get in a grow group or whatever they call missional communities or anything. You get involved in that. Go on their mission trips. You be a part of the body of Christ wherever it is that you're going. And if you're going to places like A&M and Baylor where you got ministries like Breakaway and Vertical, take advantage of those. And crew that's on a lot of campuses. I'm telling you, this is so important because the devil would love to get you isolated. And I've just seen it happen so many times over the years. Don't let them get you isolated. It's the reason that animals travel in packs. Why do animals travel in packs? Because it's safer if you travel in packs. And so it will be for you. 
And so I want you to start praying now. Who's my community going to be? And, and you can't wait for it to like come knock on your door. You're going to have to get out. Put yourself out there. And go try some different. Find a friend. You're a Christian? Cool. Let's go try this church and let's go try this church. And let's see where we can plug in, where we can have some friends and fellowship. And these sorts of, I'm telling you, this is essential for your survival. Not your survival physically, but your f- survival spiritually, emotionally. Relationally, there's this book by uh, Ben Sherwood that's called The Survivor's Guide. It's kind of an interesting case study. Well, he does a lot of case studies on people who have survived the, the extreme sort of crises, like airplane crashes and things like and he, and he goes through and he sort of analyzes, here's what separates the survivors from the non-survivors. Well, take airplane crashes, for example. People who survive the airplane crashes, they tend to be, he writes, the people who actually have their head in the game. They're not just passive riders. They, they actually, they, they get in, they're paying attention to what's going on when the flight attendant gets up and does a little deal. He's actually, she's actually listening to and paying attention and actually counting how many rows back from the emergency aisle am I? In case we went down, in case the cabin fills with smoke, I can feel my way to that right place and I can get out. And they don't fall asleep in the first three seconds of a flight or the last eight seconds of a flight because apparently most of the crashes happen in those critical 11 seconds. Who knew? And so these people, the survivors, they're the ones who get out in the first 90 seconds because that's usually all you've got. Conversely, the people who don't survive, they're the ones who sat there. They never were paying much attention. And when crisis happens, they're like, what's going on? This isn't what I signed up. What do I do? And the 90 seconds passes and they're caught. Now, the good news is you don't have to find your church in 90 seconds. But don't give it 90 days. I've seen this happen. Where young people go off and they say, you know, I'm just going to kind of take the fall. I'm just sort of do the college thing and just sort of feel the feelings. And I'll get back to, to that. So, no, you won't. I've just seen this happen over. And you let it go 90 days, I'll tell you where you'll be. You'll be coming back from Thanksgiving 90 days in. And you'll be studying for finals. That's not an on-ramp season. You're not going to go find your thing then. And then you'll come back from Christmas and you're like, well, you know, I still made it. So maybe I'll just keep doing what I've been doing, which is nothing. And I'll just do that through the spring semester. And maybe we'll give it a go next year. Don't do that. Here's why you don't want to do it. Because your soul depends on having the right community around you. You become who you hang out with. And again, if the devil can get you singled out, he'll get you picked off every single time. I'm seeing, now I'm not just talking to you graduates, I'm talking to everybody. I've seen this happen during the pandemic. People, grown people, who who, their souls were white hot and they loved the Lord and they were serving and they were involved in all sorts of things a year and a little bit more then. And and then someday during the pandemic, they... They, they sort of got out of the habit. And they, they, they sort of said, well, you know, I'll get back to God. And once we're kind of back open in this sort of thing. And, and it's as if the devil just took them like a coal and plucked them out of the fire and set them over here on the hearth where their souls have gotten cold. And they don't see the difference. I think I'm all right. Now, look at you. 
Look at how you're talking. Look at your outlook. Look at your, your, your worldview. Look at your family. Look at your marriage. Look at your kids. I, I don't think it's going so well for you. Come back. You need community. This isn't a solo sport, walking with Christ. In fact, I, I just, I just I want to say one more thing about this, okay? And I want to be real careful about how I say this. Because I know that we have people who you have had to be extremely care, careful. And some of you, I even had an email this morning, I can't take the vaccine because I'm not with the doctor. And, but I, I have this health situation. Thank you for doing the online service. And, and please keep doing the online service. We're going to do the online service. And so I got, I'm not talking to you. I want to talk to about a thousand of you right now who you're like, well, you know, the pandemic, you know, and so, so you're, you're doing pajama church, even now. And yet I know you're not real worried about the pandemic because I see your postings. <laughs> you're everywhere. You're at the Astros game. Woo! You're at the mall. You're at restaurants. You're at parties. You're not worried about the pandemic. The pandemic ended for you months ago. It's time for you to stop it. You need to come back and be a part of the community. Your soul needs that as well. Following Christ, it's not a solo sport. It's something we do together. And our church can't be all that our church is supposed to be if we're not all here and showing up and being in the game and growing and serving and, and worshiping and so. All right. We need brothers and sisters and here's why, second thing, you can jot this down. Because you can expect some stumbling blocks along the way. You'll have some stumbling blocks along the way. That's why he writes, so let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Now, there's some, some things that hinder us that they're not necessarily sinful. Maybe you're just spending a little too much time on social media or on the computer or watching too many movies and not doing your homework. Okay, that's fine. But I'm talking about particularly the sin that entangles because see, the enemy of your souls, he wants to steal and to kill and to destroy. John 10, 10, he's, that's what he's been doing since the beginning. And he will lay out every trap he can for you, for all of us. Because he knows where your soft underbelly is. He knows what would be the trap for you. Your trap might not trap me. My trap might not trap you. But you need community because you're going to hit these stumbling blocks. And I don't want you to get caught in the enemy's trap. Some years ago, I think we were newlyweds. Suzanne and I, uh, she went to the pantry one morning in the kitchen and she said, come look at this. And there's a bag of flour. It looks like kind of got shredded and flour all over the floor. And there's some... some uh, Cereal pieces on the floor. She says, were you sleep eating? And I said, no, baby. You know, even in my sleep, I'm organized and OCD. And I, and I wouldn't do that. <laughs> That's not me. And we realized we had a mouse in our house. So I, I asked a friend, what do you do? I never had a mouse. And he said, here's what you do. Go to the store. And they, they had these little sticky, you know, little doormat things. And there's like super glues on them. And, 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 you, and, you, and you peel the thing off and, and then you, and you put some peanut butter on it just, and you put that peanut butter and then you just slide it underneath your kitchen counter and you will catch yourself 
a mouse. So I went to the store and I got the peanut butter and laid it all out and, and, and turned off the kitchen lights and went back to get ready for bed. About 10 or 15 minutes later, I come out to get some ice water. And I hear this, and, and I turn on the lights, and sure enough, I'd caught a mouse. And he was stuck. I mean, he was just glued. His hands, his feet, his belly, his face is pathetic. And, and I'm looking at this thing, and, and the only thing my friend hadn't told me is, yeah, but it won't kill him. He'll be alive. And so now I'm really facing this ethical problem. What the, do I peel you off? And let, I don't know what to do. And so I, I decided, no, I think that'd be miserable for us both. So I'm going to put you out of heaven, I mean, out of uh, your misery and send you to heaven. So I said, I said, you better trust Christ real quick. And I took the broom and, and that was the end of that mouse. And that's, you like that, Robin? And that's, and that's exactly what the devil wants to do with you. He wants to lay a trap out to catch you. And that's why you need community to throw off the sin that entangles. That's why we have brothers and sisters around us who can speak truth to us and say, hey, I think you're getting lured into something. I don't think you see clearly. This is not who you are. Remember who you are. Or perhaps you need to have that truth talk with them. Hey, I know you. I know how you love the Lord. But look at you. Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're saying. That's why we need this community around us. Because sin will always take you further than you ever wanted to go. It'll always keep you longer than you ever planned to stay. And it'll always cost you more than you ever meant to pay. That's why you need Christian community. Because we'll have these stumbling blocks or you'll fall. And you will fall. All of us have fallen and short, fallen short of the glory of God and sinned, the scripture says in Romans 3.23. So we know that. And, and this is another reason we need community, to preach the gospel to us. And who we preach the gospel to. What's the gospel? The gospel is that irreducible kernel of good news that kernel of Christianity that can't be distilled any further, the truth that God in his sovereign goodness and love didn't throw in the towel on us when he could have, but instead he moved towards us in love, sending us his Savior, Son, Jesus, who would live the life of sinlessness that we couldn't live so that he would die the death of punishment that we all deserved so that he could conquer the grave on the third day saying to all of us who are attached to him, you too will have life, everlasting and abundant. We need community to overcome the sin and when there is sin, to remind us of the gospel, to bring us back, which leads to a third thing. So you must fix your eyes on Jesus. You must fix your eyes on Jesus. Why? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He's the only one who ever ran his race utterly victoriously. You remember Peter when he said, I want to walk on the water. And Jesus said, okay, go. So he steps out and he begins to walk on the water. It's actually working until what happened? Until he took his eyes off Jesus. And then what happened? 
they begin to sink, and that's what will happen to you. That's what will happen to all of us, not just those of you who are graduating, but of any age. When we take our eyes off Jesus, we forget who we are. We forget whose we are. My dad, he really wanted to drive that lesson home to me. And so years ago, when I was your age, he drove with me up to Vanderbilt. And I remember we got all moved in, unpacked, got in my dorm room. And, and then we went down. And I knew it was going to be time for him to leave. And, and we were walking down a sidewalk lined with oak trees. And then dad said something unique. He had a piece of gum in his mouth. And he takes the gum out of his mouth, stopping. And he reaches up to one of the lower hanging limbs on the top side of that limb, about seven and a half feet, maybe eight feet up. And he proceeds to stick the gum on the top of that limb. I'm like, dad, what are you doing? I'm trying to make a good first impression around here. You know, this is kind of weird. He said, son, your mom and I are so proud of you. We've prayed for years that you would grow as Jesus did in wisdom and in stature and favor with God and other people, and you have, and you are, and you will. But more than the classes that you take more than the grades that you make, what we're really hoping and praying for you is that you'll stay close to Jesus. He said, the reason I'm putting this here is because you're tall enough to see it. Nobody will ever see it because they'll never know to look there. But best I can tell you, you're going to travel this pathway several times a day. And if you ever start to wonder, who am I? You'll look up. And you'll remember this moment. You'll remember how we love you. And even more than that, how much Jesus loves you. And you'll remember who you are and whose you are. So fix your mind on Jesus. And then... There's one more thing he says in this text. Remember the cheering crowd. That crowd of witnesses. That's the fourth and final thing. How did our text start out? With that cloud of witnesses filling the stadium. Now, this is interesting. Some of the commentators say, well, really all that the author of Hebrews was saying is, there's just a lot of witnesses to the Christian faith who finished their race. People like uh, Moses and Rahab and Noah and these kind of people. They, so, so if you ever feel like you're running out of fuel and you need some inspiration, just put your mind on them and remember, hey, they ran their race really well. I'll try to do like they did. Maybe that's all that he was saying here. But I don't think that's all that he was saying here. I think he meant more. I agree with the commentators who say, no, 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 no. He was saying every bit of that, but he was also signaling something much more significant. He wasn't just saying draw some inspiration for some old guys that lived a long time ago and ran their race well. Instead, he's saying, no, 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 be inspired by the reality that they who have finished their race are now hanging over the banisters of heaven, as it were. And they're witnessing you and cheering for you as you run your 
race. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I always did a little bit better if somebody's in the stands that I cared about. If mom or dad showed up and I'm playing a game, you know, or somebody I kind of looked up to and I looked up and I was like, wow. I just wanted to go after it a little bit more, right? I think it helps sometimes to remember our fans on the balcony. Sort of like the guy whose story I read from back in 1932. He went to Fordham University. And back in 1932, Fordham and Georgetown were two football team schools. And they were going to meet in a crucial game. That game would have national championship implications. And there was a second string guard on the Fordham team. He had a father who was very ill. And so people would see him walking around the campus with his father, often arm in arm, just because he was wanting to spend as much time as he could with his father before his father's body gave out. And just before this critical game against Georgetown, his father passed away. Well, the Fordham coaches decided, we'll cancel practice. We're all going to go to the, the, the funeral. They all came. The coaches came. The team came. They went to the funeral. Afterwards, the young man was very grateful. He thanked them all. It means so much that you would come. And, and then the coach pulls him aside, and he talks to him. He says, son, I can only imagine the grief that you're going through. It's going to be overwhelming. And I just want you to know I want to help you. You let me know any which way I could help you through this season. Well, the next Friday, before the big game, second string guard comes, talks to the coach. Says, Coach, it would mean a great deal to me if you would let me start the game tomorrow against Georgetown. Coach says, ooh, young man, I really do want to help you. But I can't do that. This game is like the most important game of our whole season. I can't let you start. You're, you're my second string guard. And the young man said, no, no, I, I know, I know. But it just means the world to me. If you, if you would, if you, just, if you just let me play even the first series, just the first series, or even just the first down, just the first play of the game. I want to play it for my dad. Well, the coach thought about it, talked about it with his wife, asked the other coaches, and said, well, fine. I'll let him start the first play of the game. On that first down, that right guard blew open a hole so big the running back goes through and takes 20 yards. So they left him in. He blows it over again. Not too long later, they score. They do it again. They do it again. They do it again. Fordham rolled over Georgetown that day, and he played that second string guard, played the whole game up until the last minute or two when the score was so lopsided it was inconsequential and they brought him out. And afterwards, the coach said to that second string guard, now first, young man, I got to know what got into you. I've never seen you play like you played today. He said, well, coach, you know that my father died this past week. What you may not have known is my father was blind. He never got to watch me play. 
But I figured the day, from his new vantage point, the day was the first time he could actually watch me. Friends, you have people in your back balcony cheering for you. People in this room, people who've even gone on ahead of you, who've invested in you, who love you, and who are cheering for you. Now you've got a race to run. And so run that race with perseverance. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus because he's the author and the perfecter of our faith. Now you're ready. Ready? Runners, take your mark. Get set. God bless you as you go. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for each of these young men and women, for the joy of seeing them get ready to launch the next thing. Thank you, God, for the things that you're going to do in their lives. And thank you for a good word from Hebrews. It's not just a good word for them. It's a good word for all of us. Lord, I pray that you might appropriate that word into all of our hearts, that you would comfort those who are afflicted and that you would use it to afflict those who are comfortable, that we might experience your power and your grace and the transformation that you came to bring into all of our hearts, Lord. And friends, if you're here and you've never even said yes to Jesus in the first place, I want to invite you right now. This could be your day. And I'm just going to pray a bit more, and you could borrow these words and sort of incorporate them into your uh, own tone. And you speak to the Lord something like this. Lord Jesus, I'm asking you to come into my heart because I want to be saved. I want a Savior. I need a Savior. I need to be forgiven of my sins. And so I'm asking you to come in and to cleanse me of all unrighteousness and forgive me of my sins and fill me full of your Holy Spirit so that I might walk all the rest of my days with you and that I might run that race you've put before us with endurance and for your glory. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.